Welcome to Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This is class number one, entitled, We Know Who We Worship. We're going to build this entire course on a simple, but I testify, true doctrine. Let me pull this up. This was taught by Ezra Taft Benson powerfully in a way that really shook me the first time I read it. Um. Okay, here it is. We're going to build the entire course off of a simple doctrine. Ready? Ezra Taft Benson said this. Now, this was the man, this is the man who signed my patriarch, my mission call. I fell in love with him. He's such a powerful teacher. He said, a powerful testimony to the importance of the Book of Mormon is to note where the Lord placed its coming forth in the timetable of the unfolding restoration. The only thing that preceded it was the first vision. In that marvelous manifestation, the prophet Joseph Smith learned the true nature of God and that God had a work for him to do. The coming, of the coming forth of the Book of Mormon was the next thing to follow. Think of that in terms of what it implies. The coming forth of the Book of Mormon preceded the restoration of the priesthood. It was, it was published just a few days before the church was organized. The, the saints were given the Book of Mormon to read before they were given the revelations outlining such great doctrines as the three degrees of glory, celestial marriage, or the work for the dead. It came before priesthood quorums and church organization. Doesn't this tell us something about how the Lord views this sacred work? Now, underlining all of that is what idea here? Truth was restored in the order of its importance. I'm going to let that distill on you for a second. Heavenly Father took it upon himself to reveal the most important things first. And we can rate, we can judge how important something is in the restoration. How important is it by the timetable of the unfolding restoration. That is a tremendous doctrine, if you'll let that sink in. Now, may I suggest then that he also suggested that the foundation of your testimony should be in the same order. Now, tell me why people are leaving the church. Forgive me, but if we're going to draw this in terms of circles. This is the central first thing restored. This is the second thing restored. This is the third. This is the fourth. This is the fifth. What reason are people giving for leaving the church today? Any of these or way, way, way down here? Things that were restored much, much later and are much less important in terms of the foundation. So let me just see if I can distill that upon your soul and say, you know what? My testimony is built on the things that were restored first. I can allow a little messiness here. 
because there's not messiness here. And the reason I stay, the reason I am a member is because this is the foundation. Do you see what President Benson just declared? Truth was restored in the order of its importance. Therefore, what is the most important truth we possess? What is the first circle? What is more important than anything else? What should form the basis of your testimony? What should be the anchor that you hold on to if we don't understand things like plural marriage or blacks and the priesthood or something in our history that doesn't make sense? What is the central foundation of the restoration? Tell me what it is. We know who God is. The first thing restored is the nature of God. 30 seconds into the first vision, tell me what Joseph Smith knew. More than anyone else on this planet, the most important truth we possess is we know who Heavenly Father is. We know His relationship to Christ. We know why there is a Christ. We know what their purposes are. We know what they're trying to do. We understand the purpose of this life, the fall. I know why there's pain. I know why there's pain in my life because I understand the nature of Heavenly Father. It is the central truth. And if you walk away from the church because of something down here, guess what you're walking away from? Everything that we know about God and the Savior. I don't mean to be critical. I just, I've noticed, you've all seen someone leave the church, right? Someone you love, someone you care about. Tell me what church they joined after they left. Did anyone join a church? Isn't that fascinating? They're leaving the church and not joining any other church. And I wonder why. And I wonder if it's because they can't find this anywhere else. They left because of something way down here that is so not important. And they realize that in order to walk away from the restoration, I have to walk away from what we know about Heavenly Father. And they're finding that they can't find that anywhere else. I know a woman who left the church because we don't talk enough about mother in heaven. Now, where's she going to go? Tell me where she's going to go. Because no other church knows about mother in heaven. See, do you see? This is the foundation. And if we're really going to talk about the foundation, we should spend a lot of time here. This is much more important than talking about, I don't know, blood atonement as taught by Brigham Young. Let me see if I can illustrate and help you appreciate what we know. Turn with me to John chapter 4. I want to kind of walk through what Jesus said to the Samaritan woman. I'll bring it up. We can kind of read it together, but grab John chapter 4. New Testament, 
John chapter 4. This is the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman at the well. So, brief history. Jesus is walking from Jerusalem or from uh, the, from Galilee to Jerusalem. Most people would go around Samaria. Jesus doesn't. He goes right through. It's really hot. Look, it's the sixth hour, which means it's noon. It's a hot summer day. He's thirsty, and he sees a woman. There cometh a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said unto her, give me to drink. Now, that was not their culture. Uh, the Jews and the Samaritans didn't get along and a, man, a male Jew speaking to a Samaritan woman. And so she says to him, how is it that thou being a Jew ask of drink of me, which am a woman of Samaria, for the Jews have no dealings with the Samaritans. How do you think she said this? How is it that thou being a Jew? You can almost sense the disdain in her voice. You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. Why are we even talking? So Jesus says, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that said unto thee, give me to drink, you would have asked of him and he would have given thee living water. If you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for water. She says, sir, thou hast nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Whence there hast thou this living water? Art thou greater than our father Jacob, which gave us the well and drank thereof himself and his children and his cattle? Oh, how I wish Jesus would have answered that question. What could he have said? If I had answered for him, what would you have said? This is the God of Jacob. This is the God that Jacob worshipped. Jacob gave you the well. This man gave you the water in the well. Art thou greater than Jacob? Give me a break. But he didn't say that, right? Submissive Jesus simply said, Whosoever shall drink of this water shall thirst again. But whosoever shall drink of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst, but it shall be a well of water springing up into eternal life. Well, what would you say to that? Uh, can I have some? Sir, give me some of this water that I thirst not, neither come hither to draw. Now, tell me what a good missionary says to a single woman. Go get your husband. Let me teach the whole family, right? That's good missionary work, Macy. Let me teach the whole family. Go get your husband. And she says, um, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, oh, that's right. You've had five and the man you're currently living with is not your husband, is he? Now, tell me what you'd say to that. Now, what does she say? Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. Okay, let's talk religion now. And what does she want to talk about? A Samaritan talking to a Jew. A Catholic talking to a Protestant. A Jehovah's Witness talking to a Seventh-day Adventist. This is a religious discussion. And what does it center on? Tell me what it centers on. She claims that she has the truth because why? Tell me what's the heart of her argument here. We have the truth because we worship 
in the right place, right? Our fathers worshiped in this mountain and you say that we should worship in the temple. We're right because we worship where Jacob worshiped. In other words, what do they think makes them right? They worship in the right place. Do you know that there is a religion on this planet that claims to be the true religion because they worship on the right day? They're Christians that worship on Saturday. Therefore, they're the only ones that are right. Guess what Jesus says? Now, allow me to as humbly and as kindly Woman, believe me, the hour cometh when ye shall neither in this mountain nor yet at Jerusalem worship the Father. Now listen to what Jesus says to her. Ye worship, ye know not what. We know what we worship. That should probably have been translated as what word? who and because we know who we worship what does he conclude we can save you worshiping in the right place won't save you worshiping in the wrong place won't damn you what matters tell me what jesus says matters we know who we worship. We know who Heavenly Father is. Do we or do we not know where He came from and how He became Heavenly Father? Do we? We do. Do we know what His greatest purposes are? Tell me what we know about Him that the world doesn't know. Tell me one thing we know about Heavenly Father that the world does not know. We know He is literally our Father, that we are to Him, not Creator-created. Most religions look at God as Creator-created. We don't. He is Father, and we are children, literal children, which means there's a mother. We know He's married. We know there's a Heavenly Mother. Anything else? Tell me what we know. He has a body of flesh and bones. He's a man. He has eyes and ears. Tell me what else we know. We know that he wants to give us everything that he has. We know he's created three kingdoms of glory for his children because he wants them to happen. We know his plan. We know his purposes. We know who we worship. Therefore, salvation is of today, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The single greatest truth we possess, the most important truth we possess is the nature and identity of Heavenly Father, and His Son, Jesus Christ. We know the purposes of the Holy Ghost. We know the relationship between them. We know how to become like Him. We know who Heavenly Father is. Nothing else matters. 
as much as that. In fact, when we get to all the other circles, guess what the main purpose of that circle will be? To push us back to God. What is the whole purpose of the Book of Mormon? What is the purpose of priesthood and priesthood ordinances? All of the rest of the circles are trying to help us understand who he is, how to worship him, so that we can have what he wants us to have. The whole purpose of the restoration is to declare who he is, what he is, and what he wants. Let me show you something fascinating. I want you to find Moses chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 1. Let me show you something very interesting. Moses 1. Well, I'll put chapters down here. Let's go to Moses and Genesis. Anyone tell me the relationship between these? Can anyone tell me the relationship, Abby? Okay, so Genesis is, this is the JST of Genesis 1 through 6. This is the Joseph Smith translation of, Moses, of Genesis 1 through 6. So Gen Genesis is the Bible as it is. Moses is the Bible as it was or should be. Does anyone disagree and do you want to have a discussion about that? Or are we all on the same page? This is the Joseph Smith translation of Genesis. So this is the inspired version of what the Bible once was before it was edited. All right, find Genesis 1. Turn to Genesis 1. Read over the chapter until you have a good feel for what it talks about. The six days of creation. On the day, first day, the second day, the third day. Everyone got a feel for Genesis 1? Okay, find that chapter in Moses. Find that chapter in Moses. You looking for foundations of the restoration? Yeah. Okay, this is the place. Find that chapter in Moses. Where is the chapter in Moses that talks about the days of creation? Day one, day two, day three. Chapter two. Genesis one is chapter two of Moses. Okay, look at Genesis two. God rests on the seventh day the four rivers, the two trees. He ends Genesis 2 by talking about the rib. Where is that chapter in Moses? Where does it talk about the Sabbath day, the rivers, the trees, and the rib? Where is that in Moses? Genesis 2 is Moses 3. Starting to see a pattern? Where would you guess Genesis 3 is? Moses 4. Okay, I need a big light bulb to go on. If this is the Bible as it is, it starts here. If this is the Bible as it was, tell me what you're seeing. 
the first chapter of the Bible is missing. It's not. The first chapter of the Bible is missing. If this is the Bible as it was, and now this is where the Bible begins, the Bible is missing the first chapter. The Bible is missing the first chapter. Now, which religions have Genesis? Which religions would still have Genesis in their scriptures? Christians? How about Jews? Would Jews, do Jews accept Genesis? How about Muslims? All three major world religions would accept the Bible, right? And the first chapter is missing. Turn to Moses chapter 1. What was taken out during the apostasy? If this is a pattern of everything in our scriptures, if this is a pattern, then tell me what was taken out. Go to the second verse, Moses chapter 1 verse 2. What would the second verse, if it hadn't been taken out, what would the second verse of the Bible say to everyone? He saw God Face to face. He is not a spirit that, it, that fills the immensity of space. He's not thunder. He is a man and he speaks and he has a face. Look at the fourth verse. What would the fourth verse have told everyone? If it hadn't been taken out of the scriptures, what would the fourth verse of the Bible say? We are father, child. We are not creator, created. You are not my object that I created and can command. You are my child. If the world understood that God is our Father, how would that change religion? If you expected Him to act like a father would act, it would change religion. But that's been taken out. How about verse 6? What did the sixth verse of the Bible say? Had it not been taken out, what would the sixth verse of the Bible tell everyone? that I have a son, his name is Jesus, and he's my partner. It would have revealed the relationship between the father and the son. The next little bit is about Satan. He would have revealed the nature of Satan. Isn't it interesting that you don't find Satan very much in the scriptures, in the Bible? Who took himself out of the Bible? And right there in the first chapter. What difference would it make if the world still had this chapter? How about verse 39? What's the most blasphemous thing the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints believes? That we can become like God. What did the first chapter, 39th verse of the Bible say originally? My work and my glory is to do what? My work and my glory is to bring to pass your eternal life and so what's exaltation? What's, what's salvation? What's eternal life? Let's do eternal life first. What's eternal life? So who has eternal life? Celestial, terrestrial, telestial, right? My work and my glory is to get you into a kingdom of glory. And if you want, I'm going to offer you what? 
everything that I have in the highest degree of the celestial kingdom. There's nothing that God possesses that we can't possess if we follow the path that he laid out to get there. And where was that taught for decades, for millennia? In the Bible. Now let's go to the last two verses. Let me pull it up. If you're still in the, if you're in Moses, Pearl of Great Price, Moses chapter one, let's go to the last verse. What did the Lord tell Moses? Sorry, not that. 40 and 41, the last two verses. The last two, sorry, the third and the second to last verse. That's better. What did the Lord tell Moses? Now, Moses, my son, I will speak unto thee concerning this earth upon which thou standest, and thou shalt write the things which I shall speak. And in a day when the children of men shall esteem my words as naught, and take many of them from the book which thou shalt write, behold, I will raise up another like unto thee, and they shall be had again among the children of men, as many as shall believe. What did the scriptures lose during the apostasy? The nature and character of Heavenly Father and the Son, Jesus Christ. What is the most important truth restored in the restoration? The nature and character of Heavenly Father. <clears throat> we know who He is. Now, there are other things that are gonna come. And when you look at the restoration, there's gonna be some things that bug you. There's going to be some things that don't sit well with you. And some of them are going to be way down here in the restoration. But may I say that you need to be really, really careful as you weight everything that we have in the restoration against the greatest truth of all truths. We know who he is. Not only is that true of the Father, but it is true of the Son. There is an entire course, one of the cornerstones devoted to what we know about Jesus Christ. What has been revealed in our day about Jesus? Can we just do one? This is not the purpose of this class. We'll save it for another class, but let's just do one. Let's just take one little glimpse. Let's just grab one little glimpse of who Jesus is that has been restored in the restoration. And let me point out, this is what we know. This is a small sample of what we know about the Son. Turn with me to Moses chapter, or sorry, Book of Mormon, Alma chapter 7. Book of Mormon, Alma 7. Let's just do two verses, 11 and 12. What do we know about the Savior? Now, would you acknowledge that most of Christianity knows Jesus did something important? But if you press them and say, what did he do? 
They're going to have a hard time answering the question. They're going to point to what? What do they point to as to saying that's what he did that was important? They point to the cross, giving his life. And that was a critical moment. But what do we point to? What do we point to because of what we know and saying that's what he did that was so important? We don't point to the cross, do we? What do we point to? We point to a garden. And we point to, let me tell you, let us tell you what happened in that garden. And one of the things that happened in that garden is powerfully taught in these two verses. And you're not going to find any two verses like this in the Bible. We know that Jesus suffered pain of every kind. Let me pause. The Book of Mormon will teach that his atonement was infinite, infinite. Therefore, would that necessarily, I mean, obviously we have to apply this to this. He felt how many kinds of pain? How many different kinds of pain did Jesus feel and suffer? Every single, an infinite amount of pain. And how deep did he take each one of those pains? Did he suffer it for just a millisecond? How long did he suffer each pain? For an infinite amount of time. How long has Jesus been in a wheelchair? Five years? How long have you been in, John? Two? Ten years. John's been in a wheelchair for ten years. Eleven. How long has Jesus been in a wheelchair? An infinity. He is going to take every single pain to an infinite depth. Which means, tell me what he knows. How I feel. Has he been raped? Has he had an abortion? Has he been addicted to drugs? Has he been mentally retarded? Has he lost the election? Has he been betrayed by friends? Has he broken his arm? How many ways has he broken his arm? Every single possible way you can possibly break your arm, he has broken that arm. And how long did he suffer that break? Six weeks? How long? An eternity. Has Jesus been gay? Has he been barren? Has he died in childbirth? Has he starved? Was he in the gas chambers in Auschwitz? Has he been on the slave ship coming to America? Has he lived a life of a slave? Has he had chicken pox? COVID? You worship a Messiah who has suffered pain, affliction, temptation, sickness, death, and infirmities of every kind. Abby fell 60 feet 
in a canyon when she was 18. And she's, the challenges of that fall are still present today. Has Jesus fallen 60 feet in a canyon? Do you understand who he is? Now, why did he do all this? Did he have to? So why did he do all this? Why did he do this? One reason, one reason is that his bowels may be filled with mercy according to the flesh, that he may know according to the flesh how to succor his people according to their infirmities. What kind of savior do we have? Now, not only does he know how to succor, tell me what else he knows. If you were to expand on this, what would this suffering bring him? He knows, okay, so he knows how to succor, but what would that understanding do, Amelia? He knows, what else does he know how to do because of that suffering? He knows how to help. He knows when to help. He knows who should help. And when should they hold back their help? He knows how to save. And probably something we don't think much about, he knows how to judge. Let's suppose one of you fell into drug abuse and it got really bad and you were sent to rehab. And they assigned someone to help you through rehab. And they, you found out in the morning that your counselor to get you through rehab was your institute teacher, Brother Dunford. Tell me what you would think. Macy, you're smiling. What would you think? You are going to get through rehab and Brother Dunford's going to guide you. Tell me what you're honestly thinking. What in the world is this going to be like? He's going to judge me. He has no idea to help me. He's never been what I've been through. He can't help me. Honestly, who would you be hoping for? Someone who is addicted to drugs, wouldn't you? Who is the counselor in every one of our lives? And why is he not prone to judge us? Because I know exactly what you're going through. I know how hard it is. Do you see what we know because of a restoration that has restored the identity of God, the Savior, their plan, their purposes? Now that is the foundation. That is capital F foundation of the restoration. Everything else is secondary to that. Everything else that we're going to talk about as we add circles to this, everything else simply points us back to our relationship to them. Because nothing else can save you, but they can save you. Please understand that the restoration is much more than what happens at church and what decisions the brethren make. The restoration is we know who God is. 
and we're going to tell you who he is so that you can have a relationship with him. Now, we're going to pause before we do the next circle. Let's take a little bit of time here. What are the greatest sources we have? What sources have revealed who God is? Obviously, the first vision. The first vision was the starting point. We know who God is because of the first vision. What else? The next circle is going to clarify this one, right? So clearly, Book of Mormon primarily, but modern day scripture in general. So scripture has revealed Christ and the Father and their purposes. What are some others? Let me throw two out that you're probably not as familiar with as those two. When Joseph Smith gathered the, what he called the school of the prophets, the leading brethren, the leading saints into a school to teach them, he produced a curriculum for them. And they studied this curriculum. And for many years that was in our scriptures. But in 1920, they decided, well, it wasn't received by revelation, so they took it out of the scriptures. And, and fortunately, we've kind of stopped studying it. It doesn't come up in Come Follow Me. It's not part of our curriculum. And yet it is a major source of knowing who God is. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Lectures on faith. How many of you heard of lectures on faith? Heard of? Ooh, not even heard of. Wow, this is going to be fun. You've never heard of lectures on faith as taught in the School of the Prophets in Kirtland, Ohio. Okay, great. That is a major source of our knowledge of Heavenly Father. And then, after that, about a month and a half, April, Joseph's killed in June, June 27th, 1844. In April, he delivers one of the best sermons he ever gave. And luckily, there were seven people taking notes, which is rare. We usually don't have that many note takes. So we can combine all of their notes into one pretty good sermon. And it's this sermon where Joseph Smith taught how God became God, where he came from. The sermon happened to be for the funeral. It was kind of a, it was a general conference, but it was a, a member of the church had died. And he's kind of giving the consoling words. And the guy's name was King Follett. I don't know who would name their son King, but his name was King Follett. So we know that as the King Follett sermon. They had really grand so here's what we're going to do. If you're okay, next week, I want to introduce you to these two. I will, I will, I'll have a print copy. I'll have electronic copies. But I want to talk to you about the King Follett discourse and the lectures on faith. And I just want to, we'll see if we can do both in one day. That is a huge order because I've taught entire courses on each one of them separately. They're that deep. But we'll see if we can do both in one day. Because if the foundation of the restoration is we know who God is, I want you to be familiar with the documents, the texts that helped us understand who he was. 
So we'll do a quick crash course on the lectures on faith and a crash course on the King Follett discourse. But I leave you with my testimony. I bear you my solemn testimony that the foundation of the restoration is we know who we worship. The foundation of your testimony needs to be a personal relationship with them. Nothing is more important than your relationship to Heavenly Father and the Savior. Everything else in the church is designed to help point you to them. Nothing else is as important. Don't walk away from this because of something way down the line that is not nearly as important. So we'll take a few weeks and talk a little bit in depth about what do we know about their nature, their character, their perfections, and then we'll move on to the second circle. What came after the first vision? Well, that was part of this. What came out? What was the major contribution after the first vision? Joseph has the first vision in 1820. He's 14 years old. Three years later, Moroni comes and tells him about... Okay, that's number two. The Book of Mormon. Now, we will not go into the book. That's a whole other cornerstone class. We will just simply talk about the role of the Book of Mormon in the Restoration. But again, I leave you with my witness that the foundation is our knowledge of Heavenly Father and His Son Jesus and their plan for our happiness. Let your foundation, let your testimony be rooted most in that reality. I know who I worship. I know my Savior. And I have a personal relationship with Him. And I say that in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Thank you for joining us for Foundations of the Restoration podcast class. This has been class number one, entitled, We Know Who We Worship. Join us next week as we take a look at the Book of Mormon and its role in the Restoration. (laughs) 